Have you ever had a, a situation where you, uh, you go to use something and it just doesn't work? You know, like, like perhaps you like, pick up your hairdryer. There's nothing, just nothing. Struggle is real. But if you're not plugged in, it doesn't work. You know, sometimes... You know, the other week, Jackson and I were building a fence and the skill saw just wasn't working. I turned around and I just obviously pulled too hard and it got unplugged. No plugged in, no power. Hairdryer not plugged in, no hairdryer. What you're plugged into is your source of power. And today I want to start a new series. Uh, you can see it on the screen. It's called Connection. And my prayer as we unpack this one verse over the next five or six weeks uh, is that we're going to find the source of our power. Today, I'm going to start right at the beginning. This verse on the screen, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 reads, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This week I was reflecting on the year we've been navigating as a church, and at the beginning of the year, uh, we started on a journey. We've been witnessing the Lord do a whole lot of healing and, and reconciliation. He's bringing a wholeness. He's bringing purpose. He's bringing spiritual insight, and he's bringing mobilization, momentum. And, and so I've been reflecting to see the way that the Lord is leading us and perhaps to find out why he's doing what he's doing. Right at the beginning of the year, we looked at the fundamentals of our faith. It was a series where we unpacked a whole lot of fundamental knowledge, but I would say this fundamental knowledge without application is useless. It has no value. Knowledge puffs up unless it is backed up with inspiration and revelation that leads to action. So it's good to study the fundamentals of our faith as long as we know why we're studying them. We looked at the supernatural design of God because obviously if we have the fundamentals of our faith, we need to know why we have those fundamentals. So the supernatural design God has got for each of his children, we've just finished that series called Supernatural. And we see that um, God has enabled us by his grace and his spirit to position us to administer heaven in our community. When we pray, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, we're actually empowering ourselves with the words of Jesus to shift culture, to align it with heaven. I mean, God give us a, he didn't give us a spirit of fear that we would hide it back behind our faith, but that we would step forward with boldness, a power and love and a sound mind that we might represent Jesus to the world that doesn't know him. And so hence, therefore, we, we come to this next part, which is the series called Connection. And my goal, my dream, my hope in this is that we would, in this, we would see God as he has called us into a connection, but that we would see why he's called us into connection. I was speaking with someone recently, and they said, look, we don't want a church, be a church that talks about mission. We want to be a church who is on mission big difference because you can talk all you like but faith is action and and so we've got to understand that we're connected on mission each one of us 
contributing to the mission, and that's what the context of this verse is all about, the entire verse, we're going to see that we're connected for function, fruitfulness, and for God's glory. We'll look at that today. So the structure of the series is pretty much what you might see on the screen if you're watching, if you're listening. There are five parts to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, and today we're just going to do the first line. Keep it short. In fact, I'm only going to do the first two words. And next week, Pastor Nick's coming. Pastor Nick is a friend of ours. He was Kathy and my pastor in 1998 when we moved to Hamilton. So we've got a rich history with his family, and he was, he's also got a very rich history uh, for a season in this church and was involved in, in, uh, in the life of this church for a while. So I'm delighted to have him come back. But after that, we'll get on to the second line of the verse and so on. So I want to I wanna, uh, start by saying this is really the, the, the crux of today's message. We're looking at the first two words of the verse, from him, him being Jesus, and the title of the message for those that like titles to write notes under, our connection, our connection, our connection begins in him. Jesus is the source of everything. And it doesn't matter what we do, whether it's kids' church. I mean, I love the fact they're doing this new series, getting to know who Jesus is personally. Whether it's a prayer meeting we have in the morning, whether it's um, a coffee that we have with a friend, it all begins and is fulfilled fully in Jesus Christ. And my favorite description of that is found in John chapter 1. When John writes his gospel, just listen to the first five verses of the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Everything began in Jesus. But there's more than that if you jump down to to verse 9. That was the true light. Jesus was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not out of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everything starts in Jesus. And so it's right that we would say, as you can see on the screen, our connection begins in Him. So my big idea for the time we have this morning is that our connection together begins in Jesus. Before we can fully appreciate what does connection mean, what does it look like for us, what's about the family that He's called us into, we've got to understand it begins in Him. And therein lies the problem, because with every truth, there's an opposite. With every truth, there's a tension. You know, we all understand what the truth is, but human nature, our flesh, our weakness, pulls us away from that. There's a a bungee cord, and the tension with connection is many people strive to make connection what they've designed, what they want it to be what they've defined relationship to look like, in the context of their paradigm, they say this is what connection is, and only this. Anything outside of this is not for me. They write the rules for relationships. They set the terms for what love looks like, 
And they strive to make it life, that is, safe and comfortable for themselves, but in doing so, they're using their own truth. They put themselves on the throne of their lives, but when you put yourself on the throne, you dethrone Jesus. And when you dethrone Jesus, you miss the fullness of what he's prepared for you. And so what I'm saying in connection is if our connection begins in him, we have to come back to what he says about connection. Starts in him and is fulfilled in him. There's a, a guy you might have heard of who wrote most of the New Testament. His name's Paul. He was Saul, fell off his donkey and had an encounter with Jesus. And in, in writing the New Testament, Paul, uh, uh, usually on the back of travel, so he was going around ministering with groups like this, gathering them in homes and, and meeting by the river to baptize. And, and, and he, he has this revelation, and it's woven through the New Testament, and I want us to see it today. Because he is the one that coined this phrase on the screen, in him, in Christ, in Jesus. We are, we are birthed into a new life in Christ. That came from the Apostle Paul. And, and you might think it's a cute phrase. You might think you know what it means. But as I dug a little deeper this week, I was astounded at the depth of the wisdom of Paul and the Holy Spirit as they partnered in the New Testament. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul writes that we're in Christ, and what he means by that is he uses a, I'm not going to read the Greek words because it gets confusing, but I'm going to point to some, some concepts. He uses a Greek word that says we live with Christ. Makes sense. But then Paul goes through the New Testament. He writes letters to different churches. They're all uh, overlapping, and he uses the same root word, but he slightly amends it, and I want to share that with you. Because in Romans chapter 8, he uses a slight variation on the same Greek word, but it actually means to suffer with Christ. So what Paul's saying by connecting those two thoughts is, well, you can live with Christ, but the other side of that is that you've got to suffer with Christ. I'm like, oh, that sucks. We've got to live and suffer. But then Paul uses another word. He's writing to the church in Rome, and he uses a longer Greek word, which is based on the same root word, and it actually means that you need to be crucified with Christ. If you're in him, you're crucified with him. It's all part of the same life that we're choosing by embracing our life in Jesus. Paul writes, a letter to the church in Colossae. It's called the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. But also in Ephesians chapter 2, he uses this word, slightly different variation, and it means that we've been raised with Christ. So we live, we suffer, crucified, but we're also raised up. We're resurrected. There's new life. Same meaning when we're in Him. Exactly the same chapters. Paul uses the same word, twists it a little bit. I don't know how the Greek language works. I'm not a scholar. But he uses a variation that says you're actually made alive. Made alive with Jesus. So we're living, suffering, crucified, raised, and we're made alive with Jesus. But there's even more in this word. In him. When we're in Jesus, you get to live with Jesus. You from time to time have to suffer with Jesus. 
You've been crucified with Christ, but you've been resurrected with him. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, Paul uses two words that have exactly the same root word, and it says we're glorified with Jesus, and we share an inheritance of glory with Jesus. Finally, in his letter to Timothy, the second letter, he sends Timothy, he says, you will reign with Jesus. All of these phrases are captured in this one little thought that in Jesus, in Christ, when we live in him, it's much, much more than we can comprehend. Yes, there's suffering, but there's a resurrection that comes, a glory that comes, an inheritance in order that we would reign with him. This is what it actually means. I mean, that there was worth the price of your ticket to come to church this morning. And that's only the introduction. We haven't got to the text yet. But we've got to comprehend how expansive and amazing this life is that we've been invited into. And sometimes we just get a glimpse or we skim over a text or we see two words and we go, oh, that's cute. So much richness in the text. I mean, you should get excited about that. I mean, I'm giving you permission this morning to get a little bit excited about what the Bible's telling us because it's what's on offer to you. Now, I'm not going to judge your excitement by your face because that usually causes me to be disappointed. But come on, smile a little bit at the truth of Jesus Christ and what he's offered for you. But more than that, you should be smiling because you've, you're here because you've probably chosen this life. But you need to appreciate it more fully because there's a bunch of people out there that haven't yet chosen it. And that's what they're missing out on. Why would you want to miss out on a life like that? Paul writes his letter to the church in Ephesus, and this verse that is the main verse for us comes from Ephesians chapter 4. It's verse 16. But there's two themes in Ephesians chapter 4, and there's two themes that are really important for us as we go on a journey of connection to understand what he's calling us into, because we, quite frankly, we need the Bible to wake us up. Because we get on a pattern, we get on a track, and sometimes I think, uh, me included, we miss what God's saying. And my problem is I get so excited that I kind of trip over what God's really trying to make very obvious to me. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just, the first three verses. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's like, wake up and step up and apprehend more of what God Jesus has done for you. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, this is like a sales pitch, with long suffering, bearing, meaning struggling with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's saying, Come on, Jesus made life for you, and He wants you to do it in unity together. So wake up, get along, have some fun, but Jesus is the one that's made that possible. It's all about unity. The second phrase you can see on the screen is is that we're we're called to grow stronger and there's a a call to maturity. Maturity is not based on your number of laps around the sun. It's based on the depth and intensity of the fire of the life of Jesus that you carry within you. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 11, Paul says, Jesus gave, well, I'm saying Jesus, it says, and he himself, but he's talking about Jesus. Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying or strengthening of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This whole passage, Paul's saying, come on, you've got to come together so you can grow up and be more of what Jesus makes available. The fullness of the stature of Christ. So one of the reasons that we want to be connected together is not just for unity for the sake of having a happy club, like a clappy, clappy, glory, glory club with the door shut, but it's that we would come together to grow each other stronger, to see more of what Jesus has for us, not just for our sake, but that we would see others appreciate that as well. So I hope that as we go through this, past, this verse today, that, that your heart would begin to cry, yes, Lord, and that you would hunger for the in him life that uh, Paul is writing about. Paul says, in Ephesians 4, chapter 16, from him the entire body. It's the, it's the context of the, the verse that we're, we're doing today. But I love the, um, the idea that we would see that, that we're supposed to be connected. The, the NLT says it slightly differently. It says, he, meaning Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. I've got to be honest, it doesn't sound like church. I mean, in an ideal world, it would be. But I think it's fair to say most of us would accept the church is not perfect. Well, it was perfect, and then humans got involved. And then you came in the door, but when you came in the door, it was no less perfect and no less imperfect. It was just human. It's reality. We're human beings, and God in his wisdom knows we're imperfect, but in this verse... In the opening of this verse, pointing to Jesus, they say, Jesus is going to make it perfect if you let him. If you let him. It's, it's unacceptable for people who are Christians to say, well, the church isn't perfect. I'm leaving. Walking away with an excuse that someone isn't perfect, and that's my justification. Like This verse blatantly shows that that's wrong. Because Jesus is going to call it together. Jesus is going to bring connection. The problem is, will we allow him? Are we defining what connection is, or are we allowing Jesus to? The answer to the problem of disconnection created by imperfect human beings is actually to get over ourselves and come together in him. In him. In him. Put aside preference. Put aside discomfort. Put aside unforgiveness. Mm. Might talk about that another week. So connection is coming together in Christ. We don't come just for the coffee. We don't come because the seats are comfortable. We don't come because we want to sit next to our friend. We come together in Christ. And my prayer in this series, the way God is orchestrating things, I believe God is bringing an inspired truth, an inspired revelation of what connection he wants it to be, made pure, pure and perfect only by him, not by me, not by you, not by anyone else. But it's time for people to stop making accusations against the church. Because in doing so, they're making accusations against Jesus. And quite frankly, the community is looking at the church. We're supposed to be the example. I'll show you in a minute of that. So let's say it this way. If we're going to be in Christ, 
By implication of the phrase, it's actually a social phrase, meaning one with each other. You can be in Christ on your own, but it's not the point. You can have a really great time with Jesus, but he wants more than that. Paul, as I said, wrote most of the New Testament, 13 of the books are written by him, I believe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uses this analogy when talking about church, meaning believers, and he says it's like a body, many different parts. And he talks about that in depth. And in Romans chapter 12, which you can see on the screen here, it was written two to three years after he wrote to the church in Corinth. He wrote to Rome, and he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. For as many as we have members in one body, talking of the church, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and we're individually members of one another. Paul's saying, guys, the revelation of Jesus is the revelation of coming together. The revelation of Jesus is that we are socially interacting with one another, but also practically relating with one another. To be in Christ is to be socially connected, but also to be practically connected. The reason we're advertising Triamudu now for December, is we want you to be a part of it. It's one of the ways we show our connection with the community. And our connection as the body is for three things. Firstly, we're called for function. We've got something to do. In Romans 12 and verse 6, Paul writes, having then gifts, so he's basically saying you've got gifts, according to the grace, Jesus gives to us, let us use them. He's saying, you got a gift, now use the gift. That's your function. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, Paul says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each of you for the profit of all. Meaning your gift is designed to be a blessing to another. And the way that we receive our blessing is usually through the life and the grace of someone else. That's fruitfulness. Our life is to be fruitful. And the night before Jesus was crucified, you may remember the story. He went out to the Mount of Olives and he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed for what was to come. He needed strength. He prayed for his disciples. But he also prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for anyone, it says, that would know him. It's called the high priestly prayer. It's a beautiful passage. In John 17 verse 20, Jesus says this about you. I do not pray for these ones, the disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that's you, because you believe in Jesus because of the disciples' word. That they may all be one, as you, Father, are in the world, are you in me, and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
And the glory which you, Father, gave me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. See, that's where Paul got his revelation from. The church will be perfect when we're connected to Jesus. And here's the crutch, the crux. The point may be that the world may, this is verse 23 of John 17, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. He's saying, guys, come together and be one that the world would know that I am God. Paul got that revelation because he had time with Jesus. And when he finishes his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 15, he says this. I'm reading from the NLT translation. Paul says, May God, who gives patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you all, just put that in there, that's Texan. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. See, what I'm trying to say is our whole point in our connection is that it will bring glory to God when we allow Jesus to purify and perfect it. That's what the scripture says. Coming together, not for comfort, but allowing the work of Jesus Christ to purify and perfect our connection that God would be glorified. So my first thought this morning was that we were just reiterating that we're called to connection by the work of Christ. The second thought that I've got for you this morning on the screen there, it says, if we're going to live from him, if life is going to flow from Jesus, if we're going to flow from him in connection, it all begins by being in him. The flow of our lives, you know, what you're plugged into determines your source of power. No, no plugging in, no source of power. But where you're plugged into determines the type of power you get. And Mel's message on communion this morning was brilliant because where you put your focus, where you put your priorities determines the fruit in your life. But if we're going to flow from him, we had better be in him. And Paul had such a deep revelation of this. We're going to scratch the surface today. I've got a couple of passages I want to point you to. Um, for those of you that like to read the Bible, um, Philippians 2 and 3 would be a fantastic couple of chapters to meditate on, meditate on this week. Paul dives into what it means to be like Christ and why we would be like Christ. The power of his resurrection along with his sufferings that we would be crucified with Christ. That's my favorite part, Philippians 3 verse 10. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to pray through those chapters in the Zoom prayer this week, Monday night at 7 and Thursday morning at 7. Join us if you will, but read Philippians 2 and 3 this week. That's the bonus, but it's not what I'm going to talk about. We're going to jump back from Philippians just a couple of pages to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse 26 and 27, Paul, same guy, he's writing all these for us. He says, you are all sons, we'll, we'll, we'll be inclusive, this is old language, so we're all men and women, young and old, we're all sons of God, 
daughters of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is a great picture of us being in Christ. And I spent some time studying this during the week. And you can read it on the screen. You can see the text is quite clear. We're baptized into Christ. So when we baptize in water in this church, um, when we baptize someone, we baptize them. The language we use is we baptize them into Jesus. When they go into the water, they're entering the grave, symbolizing death of their life, aligned with the death of Jesus Christ. They're baptized into his death, and they're baptized into his resurrection when they come out. We've never, ever left someone in the water when we baptize them. Tempting. We never have. Every single one comes out. New life in Christ. You're baptized into Christ. Paul's words. And I looked into what he means by that. And you can see on the screen, it says, you, you, the word says, you've put on Christ. Um, and that's, that's kind of like the phrase there, the meaning, the true literal meaning of the Greek word he's using, meaning to sink into a garment. So as you would sink into a, like in those days, a robe. You would sink into your robe. It means you've put on Christ. That's why the Berean Study Bible says you have been clothed with Christ because they're using that language from the, the, the main word. And, 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 and I, have, I had a little bit of an issue with it because it's easy when you've got a Greek mindset to understand what that means. But none of us do, very few of us. We've got a Western mindset. We think the way we were raised and if I said to you, you could put on the garment of Christ, you'd go sweet as. I could also take it off. If we said you could be perceived as Jesus, you could also say, yeah, but I could turn the other way and be perceived not. And, and so I, I wrestled with this because I'm not arguing with the translators. I'm just arguing with how we might perceive it and how I see it in even my own life is like, well, if I feel like it, I will. It's not, it's not Paul's intention. He's saying it's actually a total transformation. It's more than just being clothed by choice and being unclothed when, it feel, when you feel like it. In my Kiwi Western mindset, I felt the best way to say this was you're baptized into Christ and it's total transformation. No half measures. You don't put one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and go, which way shall I go today? That's not the gospel. And if you want proof, Paul himself will give us proof. Turn back a page, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead, says Paul. Total transformation. If you want more proof, when he writes his letter to the church in Corinth, the second letter, he says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, talking about you, therefore, if anybody is in Christ... He is a new creation. Come on, have you heard that before? 
If anybody, anybody, you, your friends, anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation, brand new, total transformation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many things? All things have become new. No half measures, no standing with one foot in the camp of the earth and one foot in the camp of the kingdom. He's like, all things have become, come on, this is good news for you. You should crack a smile. You should be happy that Jesus Christ made this for you and all you've got to do is say yes and amen and then live like you believe it. But he's done the hard work, crucified in Christ. I don't feel like you're convinced. So I feel like I've got to maybe give you some benefits for living in Christ. Would that be good if I, if I, if I just turned up the sales pitch a little bit? You uncrossed your arms for me and you, 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 you trusted me to give you some of the benefits of living in Christ. Would that be okay? Come on. Because Paul writes this in Ephesians. And I just glimpsed through the beginning of the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to make it more comprehensive for you because I know some of you like to take photos of the slides. So rather than take a photo of this slide, take a photo of the next one when it's finished. Because if we're in Him, if we're in Christ, there are many benefits for us. And here are just nine. Why nine? Didn't want to get to ten. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Come on, let's read the Word of God. And let's have the Word of God transform us by the Spirit of God. That's how change happens. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay, one's excited. Do you know what every blessing in heaven means? Come on, I, I can't comprehend it, but the Bible says God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you know where I want to be? In Christ. In Christ, that's it. I'll show you how to do that in a minute, I think. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Just as he chose us, in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So when you're in Christ, holy and blameless. I mean, you're going to get accused by the devil. You're going to get accused by some people. But Jesus, mm -mm. when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. He's like, holy and righteous. You are holy and blameless. This is good news. Also, next one on the screen, chapter 1, verse 11, Ephesians 1, verse 11, in him, meaning in Jesus, also we have obtained, past tense, an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God knows what's good for you, and he's already made it available for you in Christ, an inheritance, something that is promised, pledged without Ability to be retracted. What about verse 13? I feel like I've got to work hard to convince you of this. In him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
So more than every blessing, more than being holy and blameless, more than having an inheritance for eternity, God says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And it's a seal. It's a mark. It's a, it's a sign that you're mine. And everything that is mine is yours. Someone say amen. Right. Chapter 2, verse 6. Turn the page. God raised us up together and made us, <laughs> like this, the, word, the language of the New King James is funny, and made us sit together. It's like a school teacher, you know, you will sit together. Sit down. I don't know that's the meaning, but it sounds like it. God raised us up together, connection, and made us sit together, connection, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're seated with Christ do you know what that means? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, if it was last week, I can't remember, but when you're seated in the court, you have authority. Servants stand. Rulers sit. You're seated in the heavenly courts with Jesus Christ, who is King of all kings and Lord of all lords, and you're seated with him. Come on. You've got to claim that authority and appropriate it in the name of Jesus to shift your situation. Why? Because he seated you in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that in ages to come, meaning beyond my, my brain, in, in all time to come, that he, God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Unlimited love, unlimited grace, unlimited kindness in Christ. Does that mean you can go before him and ask for what you want? Yeah, go. He's your dad. He knows your heart. And he wants to see your heart fulfilled with all the measure of his fullness of his love. That was Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Everything began in him and will be fulfilled in him. We're his workmanship. You're a masterpiece. You're a beautiful creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God already prepared that you should walk in them. So you've got, you've got an ability to function, but you've got a purpose to function in. There's a plan that God made you and designed you perfectly and intricately for the pathway that he has for you, that you'd have function in him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ, Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, you who were once far off, man, some of us were far off, eh? I mean, we had to test me. Clint, you gave your test me in May. You were far off, bro. But most of us were. Most of us were. Most of us were far off. And God in his kindness brought us near by the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that say to me? Intimacy. Fellowship. Psalm 91, under the shadow of his wing. Jesus says, bring all the little children unto me, and they climb up on his lap. I mean, I'm a bit old to do nuzzling in the neck of my father in the earthly sense, but I like to crawl on his lap in the heavenly sense and be loved on by my father, brought near by Jesus. And finally, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, we'll just stop it here, because otherwise we just go on and on and on and on trying to prove that God's love is good for you. The Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ 
through the gospel. Now, this doesn't make sense to us because we're kind of, well, actually, we're not that connected in New Zealand, the cultures, are we? So it should make sense to us. God loves all the same. Jew, Gentile, that was the age these were in. Romans, even Romans, even Greeks. Jews and non-Jews, God says, my love is available to all. You might want to remember that when you're walking down the street judging someone who parked crooked. I mean, Clint, he's got the hardest job walking around prison, surrounded by some tough guys that did some bad, bad stuff. But God loves them all. That all would know him. That's the hope of God. That's why Jesus came. I mean, he's not judging them. Why should you? Come on, this is the call that in Christ anything is possible. This is good news. Why would we want to live a life without these kinds of benefits being our reality? But why would your friends, why would your neighbors, why would the people in this town want to continue to live without this in Christ revelation? In Christ. In Christ. I mean, we've got to get a revelation that if we're going to live from him, if love is going to flow from him through us into our community, then our job is just to get in him, to live in Christ, to fully appreciate what Jesus has done for us. We've got to understand that to love from him means that it begins in him. And therein lies our choice. Do we want to live in him? I mean, there'll be people listening to this in this room or on the live stream watching it from time past now that may not know Jesus. And if someone's hearing this message, then the invitation is that you would come into a place where you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you'd just say, I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sins and that God rose him from the dead. And when I say I believe that, I'm received by God as a son or daughter of God. Man, my heart is hopeful that people would respond to him, to the message of the good news. Because it's a pretty good invitation. But what about those of you who do know Christ? What's your response? The response should be no half measure. The response should be, yes, Lord. That we would cry out to God and say, Jesus, would you come? And help me to be like you, that I would be found in Christ, that I would choose the living, the suffering, the crucifixion, that I would accept that I'm risen and raised up into a new life, that I'd accept that I have an inheritance in God, and that I reign with him. In him means all of that. Well, here's the punchline. This is what I wanted to finish with, that whether you're Walking with Jesus as a new Christian or whether you've been walking with him for decades, that the only way we're going to have a pure connection that glorifies God is that if every single one of us have what I call a come-to-Jesus moment. A come-to-Jesus moment. Where we come back to a personal devotion, a personal commitment, a personal yielding to Jesus that is pure and wholehearted. No half measures. What do I mean by pure? Undefiled. God is wanting to clean up the church. And, it, and, and trust me, I'm on the journey. I'm at the foot of the cross. And I'm inviting Jesus to take out that which is impure, that he would purify, that he would purge my heart 
in order that what is unclean would be removed and that only what is pure would remain. But God wants to do that in his church. New standards. For us to have a new appreciation and a higher degree of his glory requires a higher price to be paid. It's time for God to clean up the church. As I come to a close, the final encouragement is found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so eagerly ensnares us. That's the purity of our faith. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's our wholeheartedness. How do we do that? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is calling each one of us to come to him, to look into his eyes. I mean, this is not a real picture of Jesus. I nicked this off the internet. But it's symbolic of Jesus. And I want you to look in his eyes. I want you to look in his eyes and say, Lord, I'm willing to make a deeper sacrifice. I'm willing to give a fresh sacrifice of myself. I'm willing to let go more of of who I am that I can be aware of, but I want to embrace who you say I am. And Jesus himself says when we let go of our life, we're able to gain so much more of him. And my heart's cry for Zion, for this town, is that we would look into the eyes of Jesus afresh, that we would see his love and his grace and his mercy, we would see the hope that he has for us, that we would see the life, eternity we will spend with him. But until we get to heaven... Jesus is saying, live like I lived, lived like me. And so I've just set this up as a space for encounter where you encounter him. And you'll know this hymn. You don't have to sing it. But um, this is a moment where we turn our eyes to him, that we just look in his face and just appreciate the Son of God became a son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. How do we live in Him? We get on our knees. We look into His eyes. We shut out the world. And we look in the face of Jesus to receive the love of Jesus. It's all done for us. Everything fulfilled in Jesus Christ. you'll come to Jesus moment. Spirit of God, move upon us.